Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats. And before we get into today's episode, I need to tell you about our friends at Lauren Zotti Italy. These guys are not only great coffee connoisseurs and entrepreneurs, they're also libertarians. They're also listeners of this show. They are also Patreon supporters of this show. So they are the kind of person that you want to support. So if you are a coffee drinker, please do head over to laurenzotti.coffee. That's laurenzotti.coffee, not .com. Use discount code LIONS at checkout for 10% off your order. And what's great about these guys, they don't just sell coffee. They also help people set up their own coffee shops. They have financing. Uh, they can rent equipment. They do so much to not only provide coffee for people, but also to help set up other people as entrepreneurs in that same space. What an awesome concept. So please do head over to Lauren Zotti, L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I, laurenzotti.coffee. And don't forget to use discount code LIONS for 10% off your order. My guest today is a best-selling author and simple living expert. He's also the host of the Your Better Life podcast. I'm so very pleased to welcome Gary Collins. Gary, are you ready to roar? I am. How about this? Fuck being normal. That's my roar. All right. That's a roar. That is a damn good roar, I will say. And, and you are probably far from normal, I would say, if you tracked uh, your life, your career, and where you are now is certainly far uh, from what might be considered normal in our current society. Um, so I want to kind of tick back a little bit, and uh, you have a really interesting background, so I, I'll let you decide exactly where to start there, because you can really pick it up at any point. Because, But uh, if you could just give us a little bit of your background and your history and how you got to this point, uh, where you're pretty much living off-grid. I mean, we're on the internet right now, so we can define off-grid uh, in different ways, but you are certainly living a simpler life and helping others do the same. But where did this all start for you? Well, it started in a very small town. Uh, grew up uh, just a poor redneck, basically. So spent most of my life in a trailer going, uh, you know, just didn't have much growing up. It is a simple life. And at the time, you know, growing up, you think your, your parents suck, your life sucks. And then you get older and you go, oh, that wasn't all that bad. That was actually a pretty decent life. You know, the most important things to me were my dog, my shotgun, my bike, eventually my truck, my stereo, you know, my guitar. And that's it. That's all I cared about. That's all I had. My And baseball, mitt, uh, you know, football. I mean, that's all I did. I played sports, you know, and uh, you, when you grow up poor like that, everyone else is poor. So it's all relative. So you don't really know. You don't know you're poor until you leave and you get out and you, you I went to college and I'm all, what do you mean you don't have to have a job? <laughs> Your parents pay for all this shit? How's this work? <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait a second. I think when you're a kid, you don't, when you're a kid, you don't really have a, the concept of money or finance. You just mm -hmm. have whatever life you have. Uh, it's only as I got older and into adulthood that I realized some people had far more than me. Some people had far less than me, yeah. but it, you never really have that concept when you're a kid. You're just seeing things as I'm a kid. This is my life. This is what's going on. And uh, like you mentioned, things are simple when you're a kid. And it's maybe only when we become a little bit older and look back, we realize maybe how much that simplicity, how much value there was in the simplicity of the way we saw things as children. Oh, exactly. And and I started working when I was 13. So I learned the value of a buck very early in, in life because if you're poor, well, you, if I wanted something, I couldn't just go to the store and just go get it. I 
had to, you know, my parents either had to save up or beg, you know, the usual kid thing, you beg and cry and whine, which didn't work. And usually, and so I, you know, got a job, started working at 13, earning my own money, bought my own car at 15. Um, I laugh because now my laptops cost two to three times as much as what my first car cost, which is amazing. Can't drive this MacBook around, but it drives me around yes. some for yes. some reason and drives me nuts. But from there, you know, just uh, played sports, worked hard and realized I wanted to better my life, put myself through college, uh, worked pretty much full time all the way through, start off as a mechanical engineer, uh, re soon realized I was not bright enough to work and be a mechanical engineer through college. So I switched to criminal justice, which I found more, more appealing and, uh, Got my degree, ended up uh, in a bad economy, went into the military, and I always wanted to go in the military. I applied for the Naval Academy and got into a, a prep school and, and refused it because I'm a dummy. It all worked out. And uh, ended up back in the military or in the military as an enlisted guy because, again, I'm smart and co enlisted with a college degree. But there were seven of us in boot camp with college degrees as enlisted. And so, you know, just basically went through life that way, got my master's degree in forensic science while I was in the military, left the military, uh, worked in the private sector for a bit, ended up being a, I wanted to be a federal agent. That was my long-term goal. Uh, after a couple of years of applying back then, it wasn't digital. You had to hand mail, hand do all your applications and send them in. It was quite a process. And it wasn't uncommon to take two years to get hired for an agency, to go through all the paper shuffle and make sure you were in the, hoping you got in the right stack. We used to laugh that getting hired was considered part black magic because if you got in the wrong stack on the wrong admin person's desk, your application would never see the light of day. You just get the, the wrong guy having the wrong day and, and you're done. Oh, no, no. They just would put it in the wrong stack. Oh, you that mean was literally? Like, literally. literally. No, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, you'd have to try and call them. They never answered the phone. And once I got hired, I figured out how the process worked. And I was in there watching them. And literally, you could get put in the wrong stack and you were done. Or they would wow. accidentally shred applications because they thought it was one that was no longer being processed or didn't make the cut. It was... It was nuts. It was government efficient. I, I took that as a bit of a metaphor at worst, but I guess, like I said, that does sum up a uh, government inefficiency. Yeah, it, it was my introduction to government inefficiency. Even though I'd been in the military and I thought I'd seen enough of it, I got to the go to the graduate and PhD course as a federal agent and got to see waste, fraud, and abuse at its its most prominent. And so from there, you know, was a federal agent, military, spent twenty years in it. Uh, became disillusioned with the way my life was going. I did everything I was taught though, right? Growing up, I was told work hard, go to college, get in debt, buy a car, buy a house. I didn't do the married thing because uh, uh, I found that that in my career path was probably not a good idea. And then at one point I was old and I said, I don't, I'm not going to do that. And it just didn't work out. But that, I just, at the end, I was just done. I'd spent half my life in it. I realized I was chasing a, a fool's errand. I was the most unhappy I'd ever been in my life for the most part. And I said, it's time to change. Left the government. Whole host of circumstances had to happen there. About a decade ago, officially seven years ago. Uh, we won't go into that story. But um, well, That makes you want to go over. into that story, Gary. You, you tease me like that. <laughs> oh, I've never really told it, but I, I let's just put it this way. <sighs> 
I left with a little bit of fire coming out okay. of me at the end. I, I'd had it. I'd had it with a lot of things uh, with the job. Did you uh, did you sort of speak your mind on the way out then? Or? I did. I did. I told my boss, and I, I've said this a couple of times. I, I, when I left, I said two things. I said, first of all, because they couldn't figure out why. And the, the, the leaving, they, it was kind of coming. I just said, I'm trying to save my soul, first of all. And secondly, I said, I can't tell the difference between my bosses and the criminals anymore. Whew, that one did one. not go over well. No, yeah, I wouldn't I think it would. Well at all. <laughs> no, he was really pissed because he was a boss and I was saying it right to him. And I just, had, it was so bad. I just had had all of it. And I said, it's time to move on. And I rebooted my life, you know, sold my house, short sold my house in Southern California, took a, about a $200,000 cash loss, most of my wow. savings. I did it right. I wasn't one of those people who, you know, did the financing on zero down. I put 20% down. It was $115,000, $120,000 cash and uh, remodeled it, did everything right. But I realized at a point, I'd never missed a payment on anything in my life at this point, right? I, I was the perfect model citizen of, of our consumer nation and everyone get rich off the workers, <laughs> basically. And uh, You followed the path that was laid out for you. Yeah. I thought, you know, not making that pay. My friend finally goes, dude, what are you doing? He, I mean, I was, I was on the fence. He goes, you just need to get out of that house. Mm-hmm. It's going to take you down. I was stressed out and I finally just short sold it, got rid of it and started over, moved into a 475 square foot studio. Basically is a cottage, which is a small house a little further out of San Diego and rebooted my life, started a health business, uh, got another degree in exercise science and just kind of, it was weird. It was an awakening is the best way to put it. Because when I sold that house and all the shit inside it that I didn't need, <laughs> I remember I tell this story of uh, the last item. I sold most of my items on Craigslist in 48 hours. So you weren't messing around. <laughs> I wasn't screwing around. No, it was the real deal. I said, I'm getting rid of all this crap. I don't need it. It's holding me back. And I had this huge kitchen table that I'd spent months shopping for. A massive. I mean, you could have put, you know, King Arthur's court on this thing. I mean, it was ridiculous. And uh, so I, I get this thing. I'd eaten at it like five times. And a guy comes up. He goes, hey, man, you still got that table? I go, shit, that's like the last thing I got. He goes, I want it. And I look at him. I go, do, do you got a trailer? And he goes, no. He had a Ford Explorer with a luggage rack. We had to disassemble that beast haul that thing up there. We tied it on the roof. And I remember he, as he was driving away, I had two kind of life-changing moments. The first one was I went, I'm a failure. How did I get here? And then all of a sudden that popped and I went, wait a second. I don't have anything holding me down anymore. This is it. I'm free. I'm totally free now. And it was that awakening that I realized, uh, the kind of the consumer and I call it widget in widget out nation where a bunch of widgets being plugged in to widget jobs to make widgets to buy widgets that's all we do it seems like and I was like okay I'm done and I start over I just completely rebooted I reduced my my ex- monthly expenditures by two-thirds and so I was you know it was pretty amazing and you know to know that I could do whatever I wanted, but I'll be honest with you. And I didn't see this coming, Mark. I'd like to get your opinion on this a little bit. I actually had issues with too much freedom. 
Interesting. Yeah. I was overwhelmed by freedom because I had never been that free since I was a little kid. Because suddenly you had nothing you were tied to, nothing that you had to do. There was no specific job I had to do. There was no specific place I had to be. Um, my days were my days. My schedule was my schedule. And it freaked me out. I, I lost it for a little bit. And I was like, well, I got to imagine, especially coming from a military background, coming from a government background where things are very regimented, uh, where you're supposed to do things in a certain way, especially in the military, where your schedule is literally laid out for you a lot of the time. Uh, I mean, that's that's got to be a, a change in mindset that you hadn't really experienced before until you were actually in that space. And that's exactly what it was. Um, you know, growing up kind of a free range kid, my parents weren't around a lot. Uh, a lot of our parents weren't around a lot. We were all over the place. There were no cell phones. There was no way to find us <laughs> until we came home. I remember my parents at some point would yell as loud as they could and it would echo. And we lived in the sticks and I was a little kid and, and we would hear like from a mile away, our parents yelling at us. It would just scream out the backyard because <laughs> they're, and you would hear it and you go, oh, oh, oh shit, I got to get home. I got, I'm late. I know that sound well. As someone who often played manhunt in the woods uh, for hours and hours with my friends, the, the sound of my mom calling in the distance, uh, it, no matter what noise was going on, that sound always finds its way to enter your brain. Well, and you would stop, right? You would stop and freeze and you go, okay, did I hear that? And then, and then you didn't know whose parent it was. You'd have to figure out whose parent was yelling because it wasn't just mine that would yell to go get us. It was whoever was with us would do it too. Um, but yeah, we can, gosh, we get off a lot of tangents here. But yeah, so I left the government, started over, started. Oh, that, that's what I do here. So don't, don't, don't fret over tangents. I do too. Yeah. My podcast is tangents. That's all it is for the most part. And really interesting though, right? I'm thinking of renaming uh, the show Tangents of Liberty, so. You're fitting right in. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you're, I can name mine re, your better tangent, and there it works out. We can start a whole perfectly. new network, a tangent-only network. Yeah. And so I, I started a health business and uh, was doing – I built my business. I was never a social media darling. I built everything on interviews, so I started doing interviews very early on. And I was the primal paleo health guy in the survivalist communities of all things. They found me. Uh, one major podcast found me, liked what I was doing. And that evolved into, you know, I'd always wanted to live remotely, go back to it. I'd started it while I was in the government, the research, but the housing crisis hit, the bubble bursting and all that good stuff. So I kind of ditched it for a little bit, had some life events happened. Uh, friend, best friend got killed in the government and all kinds of crazy shit. And I said, you know what? If I don't start now, I'm always going to put it off. That's why I said, I'm just going to continue to say, I'll get to it later. So I went up to, I knew the area, general area of Washington that I really liked because I traveled all over the country in the government. And I went, I'm going to go look, figure it out two weeks. Went up here. There's a whole story behind that. And I'm rewriting, uh, going off the grid right now. And we're including that longer story. But I found it by luck. And I think by some of it by destiny. And about 20 acres in the mountains, I built a house off the grid. And that's where we're at right now. That's where I'm talking to you from. I do have Wi-Fi. I do run a business. I just don't have hardwired internet. I just won't put up my wind turbine. I'm staring out my window, looking at my wind turbine that I put up, uh, <laughs> which was another adventure, but I like adventures. And from there, I ended up doing an interview and the guy asked me, I was there for health questions. He goes, what are you up to? And I go, oh, I just bought 20 acres. I'm going to build a house off the grid. 
I got a ton of emails and he stopped. He stopped the show. Like we're going to end right there. And he goes, wait, well, timeout backup. <laughs> so we started almost re-interviewing me on it. And uh, literally a bunch of his uh, uh, listeners emailed me go, what are you doing? How'd you do it? How'd you find your land? Why are you doing it? And so it turned in this and I just cut the back road into this land. It was raw land, old logging site. And so I went, I better document this. Um, I'd written some health books. They were for, they weren't anything major. They were for primarily my clients. And I, a dumb marketing guy said, oh, just throw them on, throw them on Amazon. <sighs> Don't do that. People aspiring authors never just throw something on Amazon because it will be there until the day you die. It never goes away, <laughs> never goes away. As I've learned, my old books are still there. And you don't even want to see them anymore. Some of your, some of your Oh no, I, I would pay good money uh, just to have them all stacked up and burned if I could do it. Uh, but they're still floating around used. You can never get rid of them. You can get rid of the digital copies. You just cannot get rid of the print. So they're being sold used to this day um, to my chagrin. And so what happened though, was going from health to going off the grid I wrote the book and I, I put it out. I was a dummy, but I, I was smart enough to have it more professionally done. So it was a good looking book. It was well edited. It kind of started to become a good seller and it eventually became a bestseller on Amazon has been for probably, gosh, three years now, maybe two and a half. And that took me in a whole different trajectory of, and it was getting confusing. There's a going off the grid book. And then there's a guy who's a primal paleo health kind of ties in. But back then it really was a little more confusing when I was doing it. Cause I started writing that going off the grid book probably seven years ago. It's been that long, maybe eight. And then it took me all the time to get it put together and get it out. And I realized I'm just teaching life simplification is what I'm teaching. And I had the RV book written, but I didn't know what I was going to call it. I was calling it the simple life was the main title. And I went, I, out of dumb luck again, I was talking to a couple friends of mine who are in marketing. They go, Hey, I think you have a book series. And I go, I think you're right. When I've been thinking of that and the simple life was born and here we are eight here we are. books later <laughs> or not, seven. Hey, kitty cats. I got to take a quick time out now to tell you about one of our listeners, one of our patrons over at patreon.com slash lions of Liberty. His name is Brad Tracy and he goes by the pseudonym, the Liberty theorist. You can find his writings over at his blog at medium.com slash at Liberty theorist, where he discusses all the shady things the government has been up to and why libertarianism and individual rights are the only viable path towards keeping that much power out of the hands of government. He considers himself a Rothbardian, and he's a big fan of criminal justice and prison reform, just like you hear about each and every week on Felony Friday. So next time you're out there browsing the interwebs, when you've got through all your podcasts, I want to encourage you to give a little browse over to the Liberty Theorist. Again, that's medium.com slash at Liberty Theorist. You can also find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Liberty Theorist. Check it out, kids. I want to go back to something you, you talked about a little bit earlier, and it's something that sure. it's a theme that comes up a lot on this show for some reason. This idea that we are sort of programmed from birth. Uh, by mm -hmm. the institutions of our society, our educational systems, our governmental systems, 
even just our parents, and not even through necessarily any fault of their own, they're kind of just passing down what was taught to them. Um, how you talked about the, the, the sort of the path that we're all expected to go on. We go to school, we get good grades, or we try to. Uh, we apply to college, we go into a bunch of debt, but don't worry, because we're going we're gonna to make enough money because we're going to have a college degree, so everything's going to be fine. But don't worry, once you get out of that debt or start to get out of that debt, you're going to want to go into some more debt because you're going to want to buy a house and own a house. That's the American dream. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to pursue. And uh, eventually you're going to want to retire. But first, just work for about 45 to 50 years. Put all your money into the stock market. Put it all into a 401k or an IRA. And then right when you're ready to retire, you're going to finally have that life of luxury that you have dreamed of and wanted this whole time. Maybe the only issue is now you're a little too old to really enjoy it. But uh, what I think this is a path that I think, and you you touched on this when you mentioned living off the grid on that podcast, and suddenly you were bombarded with emails, and it wasn't really what you were even there to talk about. So I think you discovered a, a passion that a lot of people have maybe within them, something people are desiring, something that's innate within us, that people want more freedom. They want more than what the system is telling us to do, than when the system is kind of forcing us into the system of creating the widgets to buy the widgets to go into debt for more widgets. Um, so how is it that people can take that leap that you made and go from this place where we're sort of programmed, programmed to the point that even when someone like me can state the programming, I'm still somewhat a part of the programming as well. So how do you really take that leap from realizing that you're in this system that is not bringing happiness? It's bringing something. It's bringing numbers. It's bringing stuff. It's bringing a house. It's bringing a giant table that you hardly ever use, but it's not bringing happiness. So what's the key to, I guess, not just realizing that, because I think a lot of people do realize it, but taking that step from realizing it to actually taking the action on it, because I, I think... One of the most difficult things for a lot of people is is looking at the life around them and saying, maybe I'm not happy here, but hey, I've got a paycheck every two weeks. I have health yeah. insurance. I have stability. And I put that in quotes, uh, but people can't see this because this is audio only. But I've been put that in quotes because the stability is, is somewhat of a, uh, an illusion, you know, because any of us with a job, as many of people found out this year in particular uh, with COVID-19 and the lockdowns, any of us with a job can lose that job in the snap of a finger. So it's not really as stable as the, the system kind of kind of tries to make you think it is. And in my job, that I'll even backstep on that, where this idea of more autonomy came from was people have this misconception that all federal jobs are safe, right? It's just show up. You can never be fired. Well, as a federal agent, you can be fired in a heartbeat. Um, you lose your keys, your phone. I mean, it, it, you couldn't imagine the daily stress I had every day of all the items I was carrying, gun, baton, handcuffs, again, phone, classified phone, you know, classified laptop. You lose or break any of that, you're in a shit storm. Right. And it's paperwork and you have to explain yourself, you're disciplined. And for our jobs, it's easy, it's easier to get fired. Um, I won't say it's in, you know, there are a lot of deadbeats who don't seem to get fired. But it's at will. A lot of these, especially uh, the FBI is famous for this. They fire people all the time and you never hear about it. And it's like I said, it's, it's an at will. So you, you can't even really fight it. And if you fight it and you're wrongfully terminated, guess what they do with you? They stick you right back in the office where you were fired from and say, here you are. You won. It took you a year and a half to get your job back that we falsely fired you for because I had it happen to numerous people I worked with. They got fired for... Uh, unjustified reasons, basically because the bosses didn't like them, sued, got their job back, ended up in the same office under the same boss. 
Yeah, and is, is that, that really fair. winning? <laughs> Going yeah, back to the that, same yeah, exact situation go. that screwed you over in the first place. And so kind of seeing this and being at the end of my rope, I just was like, hey, this is, you know, this could turn around on me at any point. And all that time you put in towards retirement and all that, it's all gone. It's done. And another thing people understand is once you get terminated from a government job like that, you're blackballed. You're not getting a government job ever again, for the most part, unless you want to be a politician, it appears, because then you, you can definitely go and become a politician. Yeah, th those jobs keep coming back. <laughs> Yeah, you can always do that. But yeah, to get back to I and what I realized with that going off the grid book and all the questions and everything is I'd kind of stumbled into my life purpose accidentally that people were interested in. One of my strengths is uh, I'm good. I'm a teacher. I've taught at the college level. Um, I taught in the, in the government, in the military. I was an instructor. So I've always had this teaching strength. So I, I it's one of my strengths. So I went, okay, hey. People are interested in this, kind of weird. I wasn't expecting this, but I, I realized I need to figure out a way to teach people the life that I'm trying to live and living as I'm going. So not only was it, hey, look at me, I'm great. I'm at the end. I figured it all out. People have been able to follow my journey because I've documented it all. Good, bad, ugly, my screw ups, which happen all the time. Um, and I admit to all of them. I don't put just fluff in my books. I, I talk about the big mistakes I made. What is one of the biggest mistakes you've, you've made? Because I think a lot of what holds people back from something like this, maybe all of what holds people back from something like this, from yeah. making a major change, from leaving a job, from doing something new, from selling a house, getting rid of their possessions, whatever it may be, what holds them back often is fear. It's fear of exactly that, of making a big mistake, of having a misstep along the way and maybe thinking, oh no, what have I done? I've made a mistake. I can't go back to that life now. I've already left it behind. What do I do? And I think that the fear of those mistakes often holds people back, but here you are. You're, you've made mistakes. You've made plenty of mistakes along the way, but you're still here and you're still doing it. So mistakes, the fear of a mistake, it shouldn't really hold people back. A mistake is, is what's, you know, it's what's going to help you learn. But what, what, what's a mistake that stands out to you is something um, that was a mistake, but that you did learn from. Well, and there are many, and I, I teach this, I say, you, you know, you never really learn from your successes. You, you learn from your failures. And, you know, the saying we had in the government, you know, failure is not an option. I go, yeah, but it's a certainty and it's how you react to it. How, what is, what's going to define you as a person. You know, because everyone is so afraid of failure. And I go, you're, you're trying to avoid the imminent. It's going to happen. And that's where we're at today in society. People are so afraid of failing, any failure, that they just avoid it. They avoid taking chances. They avoid living the life they want. And I talk a lot about free will. Big Rush fan. Um, me and Matt Kibbe have that very much in common. But and we talk about and But, you know, free will is about you direct your life, you know, and there's a lot of people, and I talk about this in America, there's a lot of places I've been around the world where people do not have free will. We're very fortunate here and we're wasting it. We're wasting a lot of our freedoms. We're allowing them to be taken. And the mistakes come along with that though. If you're going to take those leaps of faith and take these chances, you're going to fail. And not only are you going to fail, you're going to fail in epic proportions. <laughs> I mean, for me, probably, you know, there's been a, quite a few, but the biggest failure or mistake I've made is underestimating the w amount of work into this lifestyle. And a lot of people do that because I, I hang around people who are more remote livers, off-grid entrepreneurs. And we talk about this. We always go, well, if I would have known it was this hard when I started, 
there's a good chance I might not have done it. And that's good though. You know, I think that that blind luck or being, you know, uh, stupid, I guess the best way to put it, or just not understanding what you're getting yourself into. And I think that was a mistake is underestimating some of it, but I learned I've always been pretty adaptive. And when I fail, I just dust myself off. God, God, I, I, I get catch myself. You live in the woods. You talk to yourself a lot sometimes. And I go, God, you're such an idiot. Why did you do that? Why? You know, you look at your hands, go, you're just lucky. You got all your fingers right now. You know, <laughs> just consider yourself lucky. And, and so probably the mistake was just underestimating the amount of work. Cause not only do I live off the grid, I'm an entrepreneur as well. So I'm double stacking two things that are very, very difficult to do. And I did both of them at the exact same time. <laughs> that was probably a mistake a little bit because I had to put the entrepreneurship on hold for a while to build the house. So I was taking odd jobs, you know, I was doing anything, you know, hustling, doing what I could just to make ends meet so I could build the house. But if I would have focused on the entrepreneurship, well, then I'm giving up my life choice of my dream of building the house. So something had to give. So I'd say that's a long-winded, my mistake. I think that's where so many people find themselves, that they find themselves with a dream or something they want to pursue, whatever it may be, whether it's living in an RV, living off-grid, being an entrepreneur, or traveling the world, whatever it might be, and they see this this thing here holding them back this thing where maybe they have a 40 hour you know a 40 hour per uh, per week job they have a they have a consistent paycheck they have they have the stability or the, the i guess i should say again the, the illusion of the stability but they're afraid to take that leap because they're afraid maybe maybe like what actually did happen to you that you found yourself having to choose between what to pursue when uh but the fact is you would never have pursued probably either of them if you didn't take that initial leap you might have held back from the house and the entrepreneurship if you're still having to work for the government the whole time so even if it, if you had to detract from one thing to do another, uh, you'd be, tra- be, de- be detracting from both if you didn't uh, make that initial decision. Well, and I think, you know, things have changed a lot too today that I, I t- tell people because they go, they ask me a lot. They go, well, how did you make that leap? And I go, it doesn't matter what you do in, in our society today. It can be taken away from you. So why not control your own destiny? And that's where I was. I think at the point in my life, I'd done everything right. And I realized that it could be taken away. Um, and I was miserable on top of it. And so, and I knew if I made it, I kept going in the government, it was going to dig me an early grave. Cause that was one thing about our job. That was pretty common. You would retire. I think statistically in our job, most people die five years after they retire. So you don't even get a very long, because of the stress, it just eats you alive. And so by the time you're done, you're literally done. And we had a mandatory retirement at 57. Mm-hmm. You had to mandatory retire. So most because of you it, are dying that, by 62 then, I guess. That, that, yeah, that. most people. And it was, wow. you know, yeah, it was just ugly in general. And I went, I can choose this path or I can choose the path that I want to choose, right? Yeah. That's the and other that's real flaw um, in the the American dream concept, the idea of working 40 hours a week, every week for 45, 50 years, so you can have this money to sit on, uh, you can have this retirement, um, or what have you, and that, that may not even be true by the time things come around anyway, uh, but then then what? what? What state are you, what state is your physical form in because you just put yourself through 45 to 50 years of most likely, depending on your job, but most likely not being all that healthy, not being nearly as healthy as you could be, and that's an, an obviously another huge aspect of what you talk about is getting your body 
healthy, both physical and mental health, but they're, they're very much tied into each other because if we don't have that, if we don't have that first, then what are we even doing? What are we even saving the wealth for? You know, what are we even putting money away into a retirement for? What are we even buying a house for if we're just destroying our body through stress, through not being as healthy as we should be, through not getting the exercise we should be, through not eating right because we're getting fast food on the way home because we've been working too hard and don't feel like cooking. All these little things that add up over the course of a lifetime, over the course of decades, leave us that at the end, even if we really have everything that the American dream promised us, even if we have all the widgets we ever wanted, can we really enjoy them because of what we've done to ourselves to get to that point? And I talk about that a lot. That's that's where the books came from. I, I When I tell people about my books, there's kind of two split offs. So I have the going off the grid side of the house where I have three books, two, and I own everything. That's another thing in my company. I own it all. I have one book that I did through Mother Earth News, who I'm good friends with. I speak at all the fairs. That was something that, you know, but I own everything too. So I'm debt-free, 100% debt-free. I own my business. I own my house. I own my RV. I own my truck. I own everything. And that's power. That gave me that freedom and power back. But you're right. You know, when you look at the drudgery, I say it's diaper to diaper is how we're taught today. You go from a baby in diapers, you retire just in time to be able to afford new, bigger diapers and eat baby food and mush. You know, it, it's sad. Uh, how many people do you see who retire and literally they have very low of their faculties left? Mm-hmm. And I saw the point where I was getting older and, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now. Yeah, I try that one on. <laughs> I hit 50 this year and I went, what happened to my time? And I was shocked. And, you know, I just went, at one point I went, I'm giving away the best years of my life for widgets. And not only that, but enriching other people. That's what I was doing. And, and it pissed me off because even in the government, you know, I did it because I believe in doing better. I believe in the freedom of the United States. You know, you know, that's why I get so pissed off when pro athletes kneel during the national anthem. People wonder why veterans have a hard and law enforcement have a hard time with that because we got blood and skid in the game. These stupid athletes don't have shit. They just whiners cry. You know, I, I went on a tangent there, but just had to say that stuff. They just don't understand how offensive that is to someone who had to do it. And we made a small fraction of the money and the sacrifice that these guys will never experience. I think as far as as that, uh, like the kneeling protest goes, like I, I think it's. I should say there's two different versions of it to me, and I can see why both would be offensive to people like yourself. Uh, I think, but I think it's meant to be offensive. You know that it's meant to catch oh, attention sure. through through offensiveness. I mean, that's at least Colin Kaepernick's initial kneeling. Now, I mean, that was done to draw an issue to something, and that can be debated one way or another. The effectiveness of that kind of protest, but I think what we're seeing now, when whole teams, whole organizations, whole leagues are encouraging it, now you can't even say it's a protest of anything. Now it's really just it is what it looks like. It's kneeling down. It's kneeling down towards a, a certain, you know, a certain take or a certain message that you're they feel they're supposed to send or supposed to agree to. Um, it's, it doesn't even have any any sense of an original protest uh, of which we can debate, you know, whether the merits of the offensiveness is, is correct or not. But now that that's not even there. It's just purely a display. So, I mean, I think that maybe for someone like yourself, that might make the sting burn even more when you see it, when it feels less genuine. I don't, I don't know what your take is on that. But. Well, yeah. And um I'll just, I'll leave it this because I did, I separated off there. It's for people to understand, I've done podcast episodes, me and a a retired police officer, a friend of mine, we talked real and deep about it is 
it's just, you have to understand it's very offensive to us. Mm -hmm. You know, that flag, depending on, you know, I don't care what your feelings are. I tell people, you did nothing to be born in the freest, richest country in the world. Stop your bitching. Get out, make it happen, live a better life, do for others and stop it. I've been to places where people have no hope. Knock it off. You're a baby. You know, and I'm not, and hey, I was in law enforcement. I'm not against criminal justice. I'm a big proponent of criminal justice reform. I was there. It's a disaster, you know, but crying the victim all the time. We're in a victim mentality today. We got to get out of that. Have to get out of that. The poorest people in this country are the richest 1% in the world. We have everything. We don't have an earning problem in this country. We have a spending problem in this country to include our federal government. Off soapbox. Back to the book series. <laughs> I split it up into two. So going off the grid and the simple life is two separate things. And I wrote these books for the books I wish I had 30 years ago. You know, I wish I had these books when I was growing up. So the simple life is basically a step-by-step process of helping people to get to a better life. Uh, that's why the podcast, Your Better Life, even though I talk about almost anything. But the books take you through stages, decluttering your life, financial freedom, optimal health. I have the three-legged stool, and I'll go with this real quick, but that's what the Simple Life series is all based on. Everything I teach. The three-legged stool of the Simple Life is optimal health, financial freedom by being debt-free, find your life purpose. And people will go, that is way too simple. They go, you're a genius for coming up with that, you know, being a smart ass. And I go, well, how many of them are you doing? And then they look down, I go, exactly, none. I already know that. That's why I created it. (laughs) And I went, that's what I did. And by just using those three legs and those three, changing those three things in your life, you're taking the power of the freedom you have relinquished to the government and I would say big companies and society as a whole, and you're bringing it back to yourself. Self-reliance, being responsible for your own actions. Um, You know, optimal health, I always start with that one. I go, we're the most obese, unhealthiest country in the world by far. It's not even a close second, which is China. (laughs) Go figure. And, you know, I always give the example, I go, do you realize China, a large part of the Chinese population is still living in huts and in rice paddies? And I'm not being a smart ass. I'm being dead serious. I mean, and that's who, who we're beating in obesity and, and being unhealthy. And so that I always say start there because everything evolves from your health. You know, attitude, you know, being able to work, work ethic, you know, cognitive function and just feeling good. Because you know what you are when you don't feel good? You're an asshole. You're not very nice to be around. <laughs> that is Absolutely uh, universally true, even of the nicest people in the world. Uh, I consider myself very nice in general. I have found myself at times where I, I've worked myself to the bone and I might you know, go off and snap at somebody and then realize, what, what, what did I do? Who is that? Who said that? That wasn't me, although it was, but it was the tired, broken down, sick of it all me. And I think so many people work themselves to the bone that a lot of people are living in that state a lot. And that's not a healthy mental place to be at all. You know, we're all human. We're all dipping into it probably sometimes, but a lot of people are probably there a lot because of, because of the lifestyle that we're living, because of the lifestyle that we feel like we have to live. Well, and the health and financial freedom go hand in hand because we spend a great deal of our money, 60% of, of, of Americans eat every meal out. 
Uh, every meal, 60%? Oh, wait. I'm that sorry. Is... Got that statistic okay. wrong. Sorry. It's not 60% of all meals eaten in the U.S. are eaten out today. Okay, well, that's sorry. still pretty shocking. That's still pretty shocking. It, it is. Well, <laughs> did you know that uh, 5 to 6%, depending, and it's changed now, of our GDP is based on the restaurant business? Oh. <laughs> I kid you not. We are literally spooking, spoon and forking ourselves to death in this country and that might be one of the um that might be one of the somewhat silver linings of and i always try to find the silver linings of everything going on uh with coronavirus and the lockdowns and and a lot of restaurants being shut down a lot of people were sort of forced to go shopping more and go cooking for themselves more of course they also have the delivery options so a lot of people might have been just continuing the same thing sitting at home uh but i, I at least for myself and, I, and I'm not even someone who I think really ate out a lot, not excessively. I mean, certainly not every meal or even most meals, but you know, a few times a week, every, yeah, every week without thinking about it, certainly. And that went to zero for me. And uh, I pretty much only ate just healthy food for about four months. And I, it, it showed. I mean, I, I've lost about 30 pounds since, since that time just from that one change, um, the change that yep. was somewhat forced on me in a way. Uh, but I could have gone the other way and sat at home and, and ordered Domino's every day. So you know, there's somewhat of a, a personal decision on that end, end as well. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people didn't get the message because the statistics I'm seeing is people are gaining more weight. Mm -hmm. And I use, uh, in my speaking, I use this one. This is an old statistic and this one will, I think will shock you and shock people because I think it was 2017 when they did this and it was through the CDC, which, you know, how reliable that is. I used to work for in that agency Um, that the average female today, adult female is 5'4", 171 pounds. The average male is 5'9", 198 pounds. People don't think that sounds big. I'm not a big guy and I haven't gained any weight. I've worked out. Nothing's changed. My life has changed almost zero during COVID at all. Uh, I still live the same life. I am 5'6", 140 pounds, and I am not looking. I do not run ultra marathons. I'm a physically active guy and the average woman is shorter than me and has 30 plus pounds on me. That's to put it in perspective. The average male has 60 pounds almost on me. That's average. That, uh, that five, nine, one ninety. I wasn't quite at one ninety, but that's pretty close to where I was, uh, before I, before I shed that weight. So yeah, I, I'm happy to not be average anymore in the, in the circumstance. Well, and that was three years ago. Uh, so it's gotten worse because I've, I've, I tell people I do the eyeball test. And since COVID, I have noticed in just, you know, four or five months. Um, well, what do we have? Four, God, it's been so long. Four months. Yeah, probably a good four or five months of, of lockdown in one, one, shape, one way, shape or form. Yeah, I've watched people get bigger in my area. I've just watched them. I mean, I'm going to just watching people get bigger and bigger. So I always tell people, you got to start there. And not only that, but it's the hardest one. Your health and it's the, I call it the excuse. If it, there's, you're always, when I used to work with clients, I would go, there's one thing they're going to lie to me about. It's going to be their health. <laughs> they're going to lie to me about what they eat and how much they exercise and how much free time they have. I, it was 100% guaranteed of all the things I've ever done in my life. Two people were going to lie to me, criminals and people who wanted to lose weight. <laughs> you know, those were the two I could guarantee who were going to lie to me. Well, the second group you could say is uh, committing a crime against themselves, against against their own body. So, And you are. And that's what I mean. You have to realize that you're doing this to a detriment to yourself, to your own health. And not only that, but to your own prosperity in life. A healthy person, on statistically, healthier people have far more energy, 
they're happier, and they out-earn their unhealthy counterparts. That's just a fact. So, why would you do that? And, and it's something that always, the two excuses I always get, right? And I want to hear, Mark, if you had this same excuse when you're, before you started, sure. I don't have enough time and being healthy is too expensive. They're both total bullshit, by the way. I didn't really give myself the expensive one because I couldn't give that when I'm eating dinner out even two or three times a week. I can't even use that excuse because I can always buy that many groceries with those couple meals. Uh, so I never ga- gave myself that one. But the, the time one is was always a big part of it. And that's why I couldn't give myself that excuse because I actually went on furlough and I didn't work for about three months at all. So I, I couldn't give myself that excuse anymore. The one excuse I did use was no longer there. So I guess that just helped me helped me free myself a little bit and say, well, OK, I can't use the time thing now. I do actually have the time now because uh, you know, before, even if I had plans to exercise or plans to work out or plans to eat healthier that night, oftentimes, again, because of the grind, because I was living in that sort of, uh, you know, the the, uh, the create the widgets to make the widgets to buy to go into debt for the widgets uh, daily grind, I'd often just be too tired by the end of the day. And I would then use that excuse. Well, today was a tough day. You know, today was a hard day. So I'll get up in the morning and work out. And of course, when the morning comes, a lot of those times, well, I'm a little tired. I'm just going to sleep in a little more today because, you know, I, I can I can do it again later after work. And then after work, here we are again. Well, I'm too tired. You know, and the, not that I did that every day, but it's certainly it's it's easy to have those excuses when you did have the long day, when you did get up early, uh, when you maybe don't really want to go work out or do or do what it is that you, you feel like you have to do for your body. Well, exactly. And and it boils down to making excuses. And I just wrote my newest book is uh, Small Habits for Big Change. Um, for, and it's 14 life or gosh, hold on. I have to grab my own book. I already forgot the title. Small Habits, 14 Powerful Lessons for Living a Life of Success and Integrity. That's terrible. I came up with the title. I can't remember. Too many books. I'm getting old. But I wrote that because of that because I've, I've talked about this a lot. Habits. Getting in grade, we called it muscle memory in the government and military for like defensive tactics, firearms training, muscle memories, doing a rep, repetitions. If you do it enough, you don't, you don't think about it anymore. It's automatic. It's an automatic response. That's how habits are formed. And people always jump to big habits. Like, so what, what do they do? They wait till New Year's, right? Everyone goes, oh, New Year's, I'll, I'll get on my weight loss and exercise routine. On average, it lasts about 14 days and they quit. Because instead of building small habits to get there, they try and make a big change all at once, right? They want the easy button and they think it's just going to happen overnight. It doesn't. Your health is a long-term plan. And the misconception people have today too is you diet, you lose the weight, and then you do it again, basically, right? You keep doing it and it's health is about a lifestyle. Being healthy is until you take that last breath. I mean, it, it doesn't end. You have to continue to do it for your whole life. Yeah, there's a reason diets hardly ever, ever work long term because they're seen as, oh, I'm going to make this change and then I'll get better. And then once I've gotten a little better, oh, well, I did it. Okay, great. And then you end up having to go do it again because you're not looking at it as actually changing your lifestyle. People are looking at it as a a short term solution to a long term problem. And statistically, they've shown that and because most diets are never based on health. They're based upon losing weight and getting quick results or no results, depending who you're listening to, um, that what happens is it actually screws your metabolism up worse. So people end up, the more you yo-yo diet, the harder it is eventually to lose that weight permanently. So you're just actually fighting yourself by jumping into these fad diets. 
So yeah, I, I teach, that's where I teach the first thing. And, and obviously the money comes into it as well, because one third, it costs a third for you to prepare your own meals as the meals eating out. Well, guess what takes you time? You have to, I run this as an experiment. I have it in the mm -hmm. books that I challenge. I've always challenged people who gave me the, oh, you just don't understand. I'm way busier than you. And I just go, whatever I go. So I challenge them. I go, I'm going to cook the same meal. We're going to pick a meal. I'm going to buy all organic ingredients. I'm going to cook it at home. And you go to your favorite fast food place or dining place, drive there, get your food. We'll compare how long it took you, how much time or, you know, how long, how much, if you had to spend gas money, whatever, and how much it cost you. I've never lost that bet even close once ever, ever. And that's what I mean. So they go together. So your financial health comes from your health. Then that rolls into being debt free. And I tell people I've been debt free for a, about a decade now. And I was never in a lot of debt. The house almost sunk me. That was a bad one. Learned a valuable lesson. Uh, but by being debt free, I tell people it will drastically change your life. Drastically. Because I can live off far less than the average American. And I don't lose sleep at night because I don't have to worry about money. I do a little bit, but not really because I can go out and earn 15 bucks an hour and survive. No problem. Everything's paid for. You don't have a bank coming after you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can say in the last year or two, I have both paid off student loans and a car and just not having, uh, I mean, obviously I owe my rent or whatever I need to live every month, month to month. But even that, if I can't make it next month, I can make a change. I can live somewhere else. I can do a lot of things differently. Uh, the debt is the one thing you can't really do anything about until you get rid of it. And it is, it is a mental a true relief when you don't have that debt anymore, when you don't have this thing in that's always in the back of your mind. Oh my God, but I need to save, I need to save money to pay for this. Oh my God, but I need to put some payments to this. I mean, I, what it's done for my mental health alone is, is just remarkable, let alone the, my actual financial, you know, financial status. Well, in a perpetual cycle, right? Because we're in a consumer economy. 70% of our economy is based on consumerism. Consumerism is based upon you buying things you don't need. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's how a consumer model works. And it's unsustainable because our model, the way it is today, is the only way we can continue is we have to continue to drive a bigger population to consume more items and everyone gets into long-term debt. That, that is unsustainable. And all that does, all that's built for is to simplify it down to its basics is to make stocks continue to go up because continued growth in a company and stock prices to go up continuously is absolutely mathematically impossible. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But if you artificially drive it by making a consumer-based economy, which we're in now, well, guess what? You can do it for a very long time until it finally goes off the cliff. My attitude is I'm not going to get anywhere near the cliff. I'm going to fix my financial situation by being debt free. I never have to worry about driving off that cliff. I'm fine. Even if our, our economy and our government goes straight down the shitter, right? I'll be all right. I'll be fine. Will it be hard in general for everyone? Sure, sure. But I'll survive. And that's how I look at it is if I'm in control of this and by taking that three-legged stool and life purpose you know, I found my life purpose. It found me. I wasn't going out and, and, you know, forcing it. It just found me. I was trying to do the right thing, trying to better myself, trying to help other people. It found me. And, and a little, you could call it dumb luck or you could call it, you know, a, a way just of way things occur if you allow them to happen. 
And I think that's another thing we're struggling with too. And um, I know you talk about that and talk about some of this too, is if you don't, if you don't have a purpose in life, it's a pretty empty life, right? And people are struggling. I mean, we're in the most prosperous country in the world and we're fighting off massive amounts of depression. These suicides are skyrocketing, especially in teens. And we're at a point where this model is literally eating us from the inside out. If you can't go through life with a higher calling, I know this sounds very woo-woo and sit in the forest with your legs crossed. No, I get is, that life, <laughs> life purpose doesn't feed and pay the bills, but guess what? It can. I've proven it and there's a lot of other people out there who have proven it. If you put, and I'm not talking altruism because altruism, that's a whole different twist you put everyone else's needs above your own. That doesn't work either. It's a balance. If I'm helping people with what I'm doing, the rewards I get back fulfill my life purpose, right? right. I'm doing it for me too, because I do make a living doing this, but my goal is to help other people accomplish their dreams. And I did it from a place of experience. You know, I wasn't some 20 year old who decided I was going to write a self-help book and get into affiliate marketing and claim to be the sharpest guy in the drawer. And I'm totally full of shit. I make fun of those people all the time. Um, I call them false prophets and they're not the only ones. They're all over the place. And there's, there's a reason you see them everywhere though. It's because they are tapping into something. They're tapping into something that people are desiring. They are desiring to get out of the rat race. They are desiring to have their own freedom. And that's also what can make them susceptible to, to, you know, to people that aren't really on the up and up and who are just kind of trying to get them down their funnel for that little purchase of their, their course. And then, and then move along. Absolutely. And it's, it's preying upon our, are wanting more out of life, right? We get, we get desperate because we're like, this isn't working. I think that's what's happening today as Americans are learning. This isn't working. You know, uh, I always teach too, you know, political tribalism. It, it, red and blue doesn't matter. I go, how many shit sandwiches? How, what do you want? How do you want your shit sandwich? Chunky or smooth? You know, because they're both going to give it to you. And that's why we're here, right? Uh, I've considered myself a libertarian for a long time before the Libertarian Party even, I think, existed. <laughs> so I've always been a more of a middle of the road guy. And, and again, free will. Long as, uh, you know, I'm not hurting anyone and I'm pursuing the things in life that I want to pursue, who cares? Who cares, right? And, and by getting to that life purpose and, and finding that drive in life, like for me, I wake up, how many people today, I've done it, I've been there, wake up or Sunday, I used to call it the Sunday night doldrums. Sundays were depressing for me because I knew I had to go back to work on Monday and I hated it. Right. <laughs> I'd be like, God dang it. And it would ruin the second half of my Sunday mm -hmm. every friggin' weekend, even though I work Sundays in the government and all that, but just usually, right? Now that I do what I want to do on my own terms, and I'm not lazy, I work hard. I work harder than I've ever worked before. But when you do something that you truly love, it's almost hard to define it as work sometimes. It turns into passion. And that's a very different animal to get you out of bed in the morning. When I wake up in the morning, you know, and check my emails, you know, there's nothing better than someone going, Gary, thank you so much. You changed my life. And I'm all, dummy me? This stupid idiot from the mi middle of nowhere, right. you know, who used to hit rocks with sticks growing up, me? And you just realize that, wow, I can have an impact. Well, that changes your dynamic of work again. Yeah. And that's where that life I mean, purpose. I, I can vividly, I can vividly recall the first time, you know, 
after I had started this podcast and it wasn't right away. It was probably months and months after, maybe even a year plus after when someone, someone that I didn't even expect reached out to me and say, said like, Hey, just so you know, like, I really, I've been following what you're doing at Lions of Liberty. Uh, it's really impacted me. It's really had an effect on me. And that's like, I mean, that's, that's worth more than any kind of advertiser deal, any, any Patreon donations we might be able to get. The fact that he actually realized, wait a minute, I, I actually impacted someone's life in a positive way. Yes. I mean, that is something that you just absolutely cannot put a price on. And it's something you don't really get, uh, you know, from working a normal, a normal corporate job. I'm sure there are, there are exceptions here and there, but uh, it's completely different when you realize something you have done, something that you were actually passionate about doing actually affected someone else and actually influenced their passion in some way. I mean, you, you just, you just can't, uh, you can't measure that. Well, and it changes the the economy because our economy historically was built upon small businesses, still is today, but we're seeing it being eroded, especially during COVID because how all of a sudden Walmart and Amazon are essential, but your local, you know, health food store gym is not all of a sudden. It's like, wait, wait, what? Well, those are all small businesses and small businesses are what America is built off. Entrepreneurship. I mean, coming from east to west, traveling across the country and making your land claim, becoming a farmer, providing services, being a gold mine. I mean, that was the day. And we've gotten so far away from that. I tell people a strong economy is built, built upon providing services that people need. Today, again, consumerism is based upon providing you services that you don't really need. <laughs> a lot of it. Um, you know, it, it's one of those like, like farming. I'm a health guy. So I talk about f- natural farming. Small farms obviously produce much better food, grass fed, free range, much healthier animal, not a CAFO confined animal feeding operation like the big ranches we see today. You can call them ranches or called CAFOs. Well, we're the animal, unhealthy animal, unhealthy meat. It's been proven. The nutrient content of an unhealthy animal, because it's filled with antibiotics, it's, you know, eating, you know, a soy, corn, which cows are not intended to eat. Right. And not only that, but much worse things. Well, guess what? Yeah, a happy animal is a happier food and, or better food for you, nutrient dense. Well, that small farm employs more people. You get better food. It's local. So you're not shipping that food thousands and thousands of miles much. I mean, it's not even close to what it does to the environment. You know, those small friendly, eco-friendly farms actually help the environment instead of ruin it. And we can get it. We won't go there about how animals guys, there was millions and millions and millions of Buffalo in Northern America, not too long ago. That's not the problem. Animal ruminant animals are not the problem. It's how we conduct our feeding operations today. That is the problem. How we eat, how we consume our foods are unhealthy. All the pharmaceutical drugs we take that end up in the water, in the land that get into our water tables. That's the problem. So a small economy built upon small businesses is a stable economy. It's a fulfilling economy. We're no longer there. You know, we're basically indentured to these big corporations. I tell people, you keep buying that useless crap on Amazon. Keep doing it. Uh, Hey, I'm an author. (laughs) I have to rely upon Amazon. I'm trying to do things differently, but they have their place, right? They do. I'm not saying they need to all go away, but you continue to buy all those items you don't need from Walmart that you don't need from Amazon. Most of them made in China, by the way. Continue to do that, and guess what you're gonna. What, guess what shirt you're gonna be wearing, or what smock you're gonna be wearing. 
It's going to be Walmart and Amazon. That's going to be your only job choice. Would you rather be a small business and provide services to your community and that money stays in your community, which is far more viable and financially stable for your community? Or would you rather have it siphoned out to our adversary, China, Great business model, America. I mean, we've built a complete, utter, moronic economic system. We're supporting our biggest adversary by buying their tainted products. They steal all of our IP. Well, guess what small businesses can't do? We can't automate. I can't put in robots to replace people. People are still my number one resource. And I'm not going to be outshoring your job to China, and I'm not supporting their economy. And I'm not stealing your data. It's, and that's what I mean. That's why I'm so passionate about what I do, if you couldn't tell. And, uh, and, and teaching people that anyone can do this. If some moron like me can do it, anyone can do it. It's just about putting in the effort. And that's why I write the books. That's why I teach what I teach. That's why I have the podcast. That's why I speak. I want, it's better for all of us, right, Mark? I'm selfish, and, and I'll, I'll leave it at this. The better everyone else does, the better I do. Yeah, That's absolutely. the selfishness in what I do. Sure. You know, it's better for all of us. You know, instead of the, the few at the top uh, reaping all the benefits, this way we all reap the benefits. And we get to run around that. Libertarianism is a is a philosophy, but I also see it as a, a moral code of, of ways to act in life. And to me... The definition of like, I guess, transactional libertarianism would be where every transaction is a win-win, where both people are winning on both sides. And what you're describing is is an economy where, and, and one that I know, I mean, a lot of what you're saying, if it was taken out of context, I know a lot of my listeners might think, oh, listen to this lefty here. But what you're really talking about is are people acting voluntarily to do things in a different way? I mean, much of what we have now, uh, these CAFOs, um, these, these giant corporations that are running things, these didn't just spring up out of, uh, you know mom and pop shops. These are creations essentially of government. These are creations of giant government regulations where only the strongest corporations, only the giant corporations can even afford to navigate the maze that's been set up for. Uh, So, I mean, from my point of view, what you're describing is much more of what we absolutely would see naturally uh, through our natural interactions with our neighbors, with our communities, were it for the absence of a lot of those regulations and a lot of those things that that keep the giant corporations afloat and keep the, the smaller businesses from being able to compete. Well, it's picking winners and losers. We're in an oligarchy. We are in true capital or corny. (laughs) Oh my God, getting tired. I edited all day. Crony capitalism. And it is, that's where we're at. And, but that doesn't mean, and and I I tell people, it doesn't mean you're powerless. Again, if you just sit back and let it happen, well, it's going to happen. And I think that's as libertarians in our libertarian beliefs, I always tell people, you got to get in touch with your inner hippie. You have to. Right all of us are devised of some things that are left considered, I mean, left and right, that's a goofy philosophy all in itself. I'm just a human who thinks rationally and puts all the facts together and comes to a decision or a conclusion. <laughs> but you, we're, we're, we're an amalgamation of left and right beliefs is a libertarian. When you boil it down to its raw, you know, essence, that's what a libertarian is. You know, small business it's weird because even lefties, even though that used to be people who lean left, that was their thing, right? Big government. We don't like big government, but you see it on both sides now. There's no difference. And that's why I say 
the shit sandwich, chunky or smooth. It's the same. It's the same smell. It still tastes like shit. It's the same thing, <laughs> you know? And I think us as libertarians, uh, you know, I hope we're at a transitional time. And I'll be honest, I've talked about this too. I didn't see this coming. I saw bad things coming and that's why I developed my life the way I did. I didn't see it happening this fast. Yeah. And I didn't see something like COVID derailing everything so quickly and watching the elite grab as much power as they possibly could. And, and us kind of sitting back and taking it. Um, I think us libertarian, more libertarian view is, yeah, no, no, nah, this is bullshit. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take this. And that's how I am. I'm, I'm not going to sit back and watch Rome burn. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do my part. Most of our fellow man seems content to do so or isn't even maybe perhaps better stated isn't even seeing the fire in the first place. So uh, the best we can do is enrich ourselves and, and make our own lives better and, and, and sort of be that example for other people. Because if we're just shouting at them, just shouting at them uh, to do things differently, um, no, no one, no one wants to be shattered at. No one wants to be told what to do. But when we show people, we can show people, look how much healthier I am. Look how much different my life is now that I've made this change. That's the way to really influence people and, and you know, the way to bring about a, a better world for all of us. Well, and that's where false prophets come from, right? If you dig into their background and look at what they're telling you, and politicians are famous for this, right? Do as I say, not as I do, right? Well, that's where we're getting. I, I think we're in a weird part in society today, too, is we follow people we shouldn't be following and getting advice from people we shouldn't be getting advice from. Right. I mean, how many overweight people are in the health industry telling you how to be healthy? That's ridiculous. It's like I always tell people, if you want to change your life, you need to find someone who is better at what you do and that you can believe in. And I've, that's one thing that I don't have to worry about is people calling me out because I do every single thing I preach and I write my, I do it. And not only do I do it, I don't do it just for effect so I can write a book. I've been doing it for a long time. It just so happens that people are interested in it. So I write about it. <laughs> it's, I didn't know they were interested. That's how it came about. I didn't think being just a normal, rational human being was considered odd today, but it is. <laughs> It absolutely is. There's no doubt about that. I'm so normal. I'm crazy. <laughs> That's a good quote too. That's a t-shirt. That sounds like a t-shirt right there. Um, Gary, it's been awesome having you on, man. It's been, it's been an absolute blast. And uh, I think, you know, having you on at this, at this time, this is kind of something I've been trying to do with the show more and more. Uh, I founded this show over six years ago, almost seven years ago now. Yikes. Um, really primarily to teach people about the ideas of liberty, to try to make it something that people could consume outside of a, you know, a thousand page tome. Uh, but more so lately, more so over the last, uh, you know, six months or so, I've really been trying to shift, not really shift. I, I think the principles that I discuss are, are, are always going to be important and always going to be something mm -hmm. I want to help translate to people. But I've been trying more and more to integrate uh, the ideas of, of helping people find ways to empower themselves and helping people to think outside the box more to the point that they can actually take action on things like having a dream on things like wanting to actually do something you're passionate about, not wanting to stay in this rat race for decades and decades on decades, just in the hopes that the 401k all works out just in the hopes that the dream is actually what, what we've been told since the beginning. Uh, and, and even in that case, uh, I think for, for many people, the dream is, is, is absolutely not what it is even sold as uh, in the first place. Uh, so Gary, I thank you so much for, for helping me do that, for helping me sort of uh, bring this attitude 
gratitude a little bit more to our listeners out there. Uh, before I let you go, feel free to let everybody know how they can find, of course, all your books and, of course, the your Better Life podcast, which I highly recommend. I've been checking it out uh, the last few weeks since we connected here, and I've been really enjoying it too. I did hit the subscribe button, so I'll, I'll be I'll be keeping track of what of your work uh, going forward as well. But uh, let people out there know all the ways they can find you guys. Of course, my listeners are pretty smart. I'm sure they can find you on Google if, if they want, but you know. Yeah, we'll make it easy on them. The simplelifenow.com is my website. Don't go to the simple life. That'll be Nicole Richie and I believe Paris Hilton. Didn't forgot about that I when go I did. There it. after if you want, but yeah, first first yeah. go to simple life now. We go to Simple Life Now. I sell all my books. I have a full e-commerce website. I have forever. Um, so get them there. I really appreciate it. I've moved, trying to move people more and more, buy books for me. Don't, you know, it helps me out. I that makes, allows me to write more books and there's a lot coming. I have so many projects going on right now, but everything is housed there. You can see the pod or listen to the podcast. It's all there, but it's on iTunes, it's Stitcher. It's everywhere. Wherever you find this podcast, you can find, you can find that one. Sure. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah, exactly. And the podcast, I'm glad you've been listening because uh, I think I've hit on some topics that a lot of people are afraid to talk about mm-hmm. and some even better ones are coming. I just interviewed by, I don't know when this will come out, but I just interviewed the writers, producers, and directors of The Swamp yesterday. Oh, cool. It was awesome. a yeah. fascinating interview. Uh, Damien Eccles is coming out of the West Memphis three. He was, uh, wrongly convicted and spent 18 years on death row. And there was three HBO documentaries about it. Very good interview. Um, so I've got some stuff coming out that is, I'm just, my attitude for the podcast is, and I don't take any donations, nothing. I run it all on my own. I have a producer and stuff, but I pay for it because the goal is to get the right information out to people, you know? unfiltered, no BS and educate and help. So yeah, make sure to check out your better life podcast. Uh, It's going really well. And some of the feedback I've gotten literally is fantastic. It's actually makes me a little uncomfortable at times because I'm just a normal normal dumb guy <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll hope to get you uh yeah we'll hope to get you a, a little more feedback too because uh, i want to really encourage my listeners to go check out your podcast uh it's no bullshit i have been really enjoying uh the work that gary's been doing and i, I really find uh, your attitude and your take on things extremely inspirational and that's one thing I always wanted to do with this program is to inspire people, to inspire people to think differently, to inspire people to act differently. And I think that's something that uh, we share there with what, with it, what you're doing over there at The Simple Life and, and Your Better Life. So uh, thanks so much, Gary. I appreciate you coming on. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thanks, man. All right, my Liberty Kitty Cats, I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Gary Collins here on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, it's not just me here every Monday. We've also got Brian McWilliams slapping you upside the head every single Wednesday with his special brand of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up every single Friday on Felony Friday with his hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system. You just got to hit that subscribe button. You get all three of these shows for the price of one. That price is free, my friends. You just can't beat that deal by subscribing to Lions of Liberty on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us. And if you can leave us a five-star rating and a great review, and if you want to leave a question while you're there, we are going to occasionally be doing some shows answering the questions that are left for us in those reviews, specifically over on Apple Podcasts. Like I said, the show is free, but of course, if you want to give us money, you're able to do that 
through a variety of ways. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty is where for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to all sorts of exclusive bonus content. Actually, for as little as $2 a month, you can dip your toe in the water, see some of our live streams by just joining the Secret Pride Facebook group. But it goes up and up from there. We have all sorts of free merchandise, all sorts of bonus content, and all sorts of ways that you can get involved with the show depending on, on your pledge level. So please do check that out. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. I also want to mention before I sign off, I've got another podcast that I launched a few weeks ago along with fellow libertarian podcaster Remzo W. Martinez. But this is not a libertarian podcast, my friends. This is actually a comic book review podcast. We grew up in different generations as comic book fans, myself and Renzo. I grew up reading comic books in the 90s. He grew up doing the same in the uh, mid-2000s or so. So we each come at things from different generational perspectives. And of course, we are libertarians. So of course, our views do bleed through. So if you are a, a libertarian person still listening to this podcast, 111 minutes or so in now, it's a decent chance you're going to like what Remzo and myself are doing over there. So please do check out the Second Print Comics podcast. You can find that, again, everywhere podcasts are found. I know you guys are smart. I know you can find this podcast. I know you can find Second Print Comics. I know you can find Your Better Life with Gary Collins. Today's amazing guest. You really got to check out his work. I'm a big fan of what he's doing, so much so that we talked about it for another 45 minutes off air uh, after this interview. So I really do want to recommend Gary Collins' work. And until next time, my friends, live long and live free.